Hi all, welcome to TED Talks Radio. I'm your host, Marissa True, and today we have the privilege of speaking with one more of Champ Medici Arts Fund Initiative's highlighted artists, Corianne Roberts. How are you today? Hi, I'm so good. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for being here. So for those of you in the audience who are just joining us on Test Talks Radio, CMAF is a philanthropic effort of up to $1 million funding geared towards supporting emerging and legacy musicians and artists across the globe that are interested in building and creating new and creative cultural works on the Tezos blockchain. So Corianne, you are one of the recipients of the Chant Medici Arts Fund's grants, um, but I want to dig into your background a bit more, the way we start off all of our shows, and a little bit of background research told me that you grew up in Bali, so I wanted to ask what that was like. Yeah, I did. I grew up in Bali with my dad. I actually lived there from four to 14 and then spent my high school years in Los Angeles. But growing up in Bali, I just feel so grateful because those years were so formative of who I am on the inside. Like we would plant trees at lunchtime and climb volcanoes and and trek waterfalls. Like that was just the way I grew up, which was so normal, like pre-social media, smartphone. Some days I didn't even wear shoes. Like it's like what you would think an island childhood was like. We really live that. And I got to spend a lot of time outside with people from all over the world, learning languages, learning about cultures, eating food from everywhere. And so, yeah, I think that I, my parents did a really good job of giving me the best of both worlds. So like I got to be, I got to become like a, like a teen, a preteen in Bali, super free and loved. And then I got to come to LA and have high school here and kind of assimilate into the American culture and then go to UCLA. So like I was kind of prepped like with the Western school system. And yeah, I just, I feel very lucky. They, they, they chose well. So I guess your your childhood in Bali sort of was the start point for a large part of your creative journey because there was that free-spirited culture that you were surrounded by. And then if we fast forward to, uh, you know, your your teens and early 20s, you eventually ended up modeling. And I know that you were on America's Next Top Model, which was an iconic show. So what was your journey like there? Yeah, so... It's interesting because I started modeling when I was 10 years old in Bali because there was just nobody who was white with an Afro. I, I kind of st- stuck out, you know, so brands started reaching out to my dad when I was really young. Then when I came to America, I was really focused on school and kind of assimilating and being a great student. And I forgot about modeling. And then at 16, I started modeling here and supporting myself that way and that kind of thing. Then I was a full time UCLA student. And I got scouted for America's Next Top Model. If I'm being really honest, I was having a hard time uh, be a full-time student and pursuing a modeling career just because of the way UCLA was structured and the workload. Like I, I was missing out on every casting and job, like being in school. So I was kind of already thinking of ways to to kind of take time off and then so I could support myself. And then, like I said, I got scouted to be on America's Next Top Model, and it was. It was very like almost like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, like golden ticket. Like it was like they reached out to me. They liked my story. They liked that my mom was a big model in the 90s. They liked that my dad was a photographer. Like it was just kind of 
seamless. I didn't really have to do too much. And yeah, like from the moment they asked me to be on, they basically were like, okay, you're on. We like you. And I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> so I guess I'll take some time off of school, um, which was like a big decision for me. Like, I don't know if you probably don't know, but I'm honestly just a big nerd. And so I went on, I went to New York for the first time actually, and spent two months there filming and you know, it was such an exciting thing because I grew up watching the show and I never thought I would be on it. Like never even, never even thought about it. And I got to make all these new friends and and live in New York City in a brownstone and do all these exciting things and wear designer clothes and, and work with all these iconic photographers. Um, and I'm grateful for it, for sure. I, I can't say that it propelled my career by any means, it definitely helped me gain speaking and television experience. I made a lot of great, great friends. Um, and yeah, I, I think I'm, I got to do something not very many people in this world get to do. So then if we connect the story between your, your journey as a model, and then now you've begun a photography career, or at least in the last few years. And I was reading that, you know, you want there to be more women photography Oh, sorry, women photographers, particularly in the boudoir content space. So why was that particularly important to you? Like, why was that segment of photography one that really struck out to you? Yeah, that's such a great way for me to tell you about my story, that question in particular, because in, so the way I got into photography is really, really fun and silly. In 2016, I started taking a disposable camera out with me everywhere. And I, it really became like an obsession for me. Like it was so fun and like my actual favorite hobby and very expensive hobby, but it was just so fun for me. And I accumulated so many photos that I thought, you know, I don't know how to disperse them all. Let me make an Instagram account. So I created this account called Corey Caught You. And like, Modeling, like I've always enjoyed because I've gotten to work with so many incredible people, gone to beautiful places, worn amazing clothes, but like I never really felt like it was my thing. It wasn't that like <gasps> take my breath away passionate feeling that I feel with photography and creative direction and creative production. But anyways, it all started with this hobby, right? And so I developed and developed and kept shooting for fun. And then in 2020, when the world was inside out and modeling and acting were, you know, obsolete pretty much. I was like, okay, what do I love the most? And how do I make money doing it? I had no real intention of it becoming my career. It was more so like, you know, I'm between us, everyone. I was like, I'm I'm spending like nine grand a year on film. I was like, is there a way for me to at least, you know, um, make that back? It wasn't like, oh, I'm about to become a photographer, this is my new career path. It was just like a silly idea. So I saw that OnlyFans was, you know, booming at the time. It was like everyone was home. So I was like, let me see if this could kind of work. So I created the first all film OnlyFans of shoots that I produced and, and casted and styled of other girls. And because it was in that like kind of sexy space, people like other models, modeling agencies, lingerie brands, bikini brands, denim brands, sexy magazines, people started reaching out to me to book me. So I started kind of like working mostly in that space. And then once I became, I don't know, popular or working consistently, more and more girls were telling me awful stories about photographers harassing them on set and making them uncomfortable. And I was like, damn, I like I modeled my whole life pretty much, you know, but I didn't really 
I wasn't really subjected so much to that. I, I don't know. I think I just was lucky. Um, and so I had heard stories, but then like working in that space more and more where, you know, girls are half naked, it was just so intense. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's not cool. Like I want women to make their money and do their work and feel safe and empowered and, and want to be doing what they're doing. So I kind of just kind of started gearing more into that space and focusing there. And it's really fun. I like, I like lingerie and I like, I like it because it's not so, it's not so subjective. Like sometimes someone tries to do a high fashion shoot and you're like, I don't really like that. It's not designer or luxurious enough, but like sexy is sexy. And I like the way the girls, the girls respond to their photos and it makes them feel and everybody always wants to shoot again. And they, they just feel like glamorous and they, I, I love the sparkle in the eye. I love the expression that they give. Like for me, it's so fun. And because I have so much modeling experience now in front of the camera, um, I mean, behind the, eh, in front of the camera. Yeah. <laughs> um, I like love helping girls pose and then even like doing video work, like small things, like telling them what to do and what to say. And like, it's just turned into this whole creative path that like is so niche. So it kind of snowballed organically because on the one hand, you were trying to subsidize your own photography passion and the fact that, you know, you were you were investing a lot of your own money into something that you just generally enjoyed doing to also, I guess, seizing the opportunity when it came to the rise of OnlyFans, which is also like, I think it's a space that many people misunderstand. And that the fact that, you know, because of the often provocative and sexual nature of a lot of the photography safety is paramount. And so if women are not feeling comfortable or secure with the person that they are in a very, very vulnerable position with, you know, on set when they're taking photos, the photographer becomes probably one of the most important people in the room in terms of providing that like safe environment. And I, I think that's something that people don't really consider because they just sort of see the end product and assume that everyone is comfortable because you have to be comfortable to, you know, to pose wearing as minimal clothing as many of these models are. Um, but then as that kind of grew over time, did you sort of concentrate your energy into that space so that you would start to create a direct just boudoir shoots? Or how did you expand that across, you know, other types of photography that you were passionate about? And like, where else did you draw inspiration for your work? Yeah, so I'll be really honest, I'm not and I never have been, I'm not super, I don't really have the best business structure. I'm very art focused and I just like to create and I like to see what kind of comes into my sphere. I really hope no one follows my lead. I am in no way <laughs> trying to mentor you in business. I, I just, I go with the flow because I love the different kinds of brands that come my way. Like I've shot all kinds of stuff from liquor brands to like snow suits and things to like artwork to animals. And I just, I like to dabble because photography is this exciting process for me. All of the, the steps of a shoot from, you know, location scouting to casting, to styling, to post-production, to lighting, like all those things are like this big creative puzzle for me that I enjoy. So I like to challenge myself and see you know, where I can fit in, how I can rise to the occasion and, and dabble into fields that aren't my my usual expertise. And in terms of inspiration, like 
I was thinking about this, um, looking at some of my mood boards, and I, a lot of the time, I kind of like to look into history. And so usually when I'm going to come up with a concept, my mind first goes to a decade, and I kind of like form the concept around that decade. So if I'm thinking like 70s, for example, I'll do like a certain kind of big hair and that kind of a makeup, even the lighting will kind of be in that realm, like that kind of moody tungsten, orangey light. So that's kind of usually where I think I'm like, okay, this decade. Um, and that's always kind of fun, but it's it's it can always be different. I really just like to make clients happy and then throw my spin on it. I think that it's so incredible that that people give me so much trust. They're like, okay, here's a budget and we want you start to finish to create everything. And I, that to me is like, like that, like wakes me up in the morning. Given you started in front of the lens and then you basically worked yourself behind it. And you were saying, you know, it's not just straight photography. It's, it's the concepting, it's the creative direction, it's the post-production itself. It's the full end-to-end setup. How did you learn or how did you pick up all of those skills independently of the opportunity or, or like someone basically giving you the shot to to try it? Yeah, that is such a beautiful question because one thing I will say is uh, there's so many things I can say, but one thing in particular, I really have to give so much credit and gratitude and love to my photo mentor. Uh, his name is Jeff Ma. He's from Hawaii. And I worked with him. He was doing like set photography on a music video that I was modeling in. And he's from Hawaii, I'm from Bali, and there was this natural like island energy. And they sat me at a booth that was kind of in a, in this funny little corner. And I was just, just sitting there and he came to talk to me and we had such a creative connection. Fast forward three years, I'm on another music video shoot as a model. And I saw him and he was like, hey, he's like, I've been following you now for these three years. He's like, I saw you became a photographer. I love everything you're doing. And I was like, thank you. It's so fun for me. And he's like, do you need any help? And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, you know, like I see you have an incredible eye and I love what you're doing, but do you need any technical help? And I was like, wow. I was like, literally I'm just doing everything gorilla. I have no idea what I'm doing technically. Like, honestly, I'm shooting, you know, on this big camera, but I, I don't really know what I'm doing. I have an eye and a passion. And he was like, you know what? Um, I really do want to help you. And I, I believe in you. And then Every week I would go to his house for camera lessons and he taught me from software and editing to, you know, exposures and about every single aspect of a camera. He even let me use his Sony a7R4 for like months before I could afford to buy my own. And he would come to all my shoots as my assistant so he could teach me on the go. And like those kind of people... They don't come around like he's just like a guardian angel. And he took me from like complete novice gorilla, like shooting on automatic, which is not fun at all. Would not recommend if you shoot on automatic and you love photography, learn all the bits and pieces. It's way more fun. It's like way more creatively exciting because you get way more control. But took me from novice to, you know, an expert in like two months and gave me so much confidence because people were booking me. People just trusted me, but I didn't know what I was doing. It was just like the love and passion was there. And I think that was showing through. And I think, you know, I did have the eye and the taste, but like, I just didn't know what I was doing. Um, He taught me camera. And then in terms of like styling and, and casting and makeup and kind of aesthetic, I think that's 
come through from years of experience in the industry and then also growing up all over the world. I'm half Italian. So uh, my entire dad's side is in Italy. My mom's side is in America through the South. Then I grew up in Bali. So I was always traveling and meeting people, maybe just studying and observing. So yeah, those, those things are just like, I think perks of <laughs> the things that I like. He sounds like an incredible mentor. And I think a lot of people underestimate the impact of someone simply saying, do you need help? When you are basically at the very beginning of your journey, you understand that you do have some kind of raw talent, but you don't really know how to channel it yet. And so to have that sort of energy come into your life and set up the runway for you is is not something to be underestimated. But you made a, you made a comment earlier that I want to bring us back to, because I think it's very, very important. You said, I'm not really, you know, like the most expert on the business side of things. Like you wouldn't consider yourself the, you know, the role model for how to set up a business when it comes to creative pursuits. And I, the thing is that I don't think many creators are like many creators really struggle with the business component because it does feel like it comes in contrast to the free flowing nature of their creativity. So it's, it's like this paradox and trying to, trying to sustain yourself as an artist is a challenge for many because you don't want to burden yourself with, you know, the admin and the business model when all you're really trying to do is create. So I think that's probably a wonderful way for us to come to, you know, the Chamadichi Arts Fund and how, how that journey began. So the first question I have is, you know, how did you cross paths with Cordell and what was your relationship like and how did it lead to this fund and this moment today? Yeah, it's it's just so wonderful because Cordell has always believed in me. He he and I were like friends through like a social scene. We just like knew each other from around. And then when I was like just out of top model, he casted me to be in a shoot for like a collab that his dad's brand was doing with this other big streetwear brand. And I met all these cool people. And through there, we became like actual friends. And then like like in 2018, I want to say like really like the very like freshness of Corey Caught You, which was my disposable film page that's developed now into a whole other thing. But he, um, before I had even thought about photography ever being anything more than a hobby, he loved my page and he asked me if he could book me to shoot his dad's Christmas sweater like campaign. And he wanted me to shoot it all on film. And I was like, I was like, I can, I just, I shoot on disposables. He's like, that's okay. He's like, it's okay. It'll be fun. It'll have this cool look. And I was like, you want to book me for Snoop Dogg's like campaign and you're going to model. And he was like, yeah. And he was like, we can go to the Christmas tree um, farm and, you know, we'll have some friends and it'll be fun. And like, we can all, it can be this like cool little group shoot. And I was like, so blown away and grateful. And it was the first time, honestly, anyone had hired me for anything other than like modeling. And besides, I worked retail for many years when I was younger. I just felt, I just felt, I remember that feeling, just feeling so honored. And so fast forward, Cordell reaches out to me and he was like, I'm starting this fund and we really want more women in this space. I've always really believed in your art. I love what you're doing. Come up with a creative and let's just see. And I was just like, wow. And at the time, you know, NFTs and things were booming. And I was super interested 
in Web3. And like, I just have always been drawn to like the underground world, right? The decentralized, like it's like the boudoir. This is like crypto and Web3 is like the boudoir of tech, right? Uh, the sexy world, you know? So I was really excited and drawn to it. I just didn't know very much about it, but I learned quick and I'm honestly very techie and I love software. So I was like, whoa, yes, let's do this. And then I actually... I started listening to the NFT Now podcast and Reese Witherspoon was a guest um, on, on the podcast and it was about onboarding women into Web3. And she's just so lovely and eloquent and exciting to listen to. But one thing she said really, really stuck out to me. And she was saying that she's so drawn to NFTs because it reminds her of being a kid and collecting stickers in a sticker book. And I just kept that just like that thought just like it was it's such a just like very like easy to understand way of like kind of understanding nfts and like the collecting aspect of it and so i was like yeah and i just became obsessed with kind of the idea of mixing the modernness of the web3 tech aspects <laughs> um of nfts and like classic nostalgia. And I started looking at Pokemon cards and Yu-Gi-Oh cards and, and, and baseball cards. And I was like, okay, so how can I make something with like retro imagery that has that nostalgic feeling and, you know, reminds people of like, kind of like childhood things, um, but mix it with the tech world. And so I, was really drawn to the baseball cards format in particular, had that like classicness. And, and also I wanted to merge my style, which is this boudoir. And then I started looking into it and I realized that there were obviously a lot of female led NFT projects. And then there were some sexy projects, but they were all like kind of like digitized art, like pixel art, like futuristic style art, anime art. They were like AI rendered. There was nothing that was, you know, from a physical model and then kept their hyper realness and, and kind of celebrated that. So I was like, okay, now I'm like getting somewhere. I'm like, okay, baseball cards, real models, sexy. And I was like, okay, classic, okay, pinup style art and make them into classic cards. And I saw like how popular NBA Top Shot was. And I was like, okay, so sports fans, I was like, digital memorabilia, but female centric. <laughs> um, you're just getting a peek into my mind of like the steps because I had no idea what to do. And it just like in a day, I just like, doo -doo -doo -doo, and it all kind of made sense to me. Um, so then I ended up creating this like digital trading card collection of pinup style characters. And I created 15 different characters from scratch, uh, booked five models who are all like incredible friends of mine that I've worked with before. And three looks each, so um, 15 characters total, and created this collection of 45 cards. I, I think that's amazing because it feels like there is there was a certain serendipity between when your Web3 curiosity or like your your intrigue about the tech really kicked off. And I love the way that you basically described crypto as the boudoir of tech. I think, I think we need to quote that somewhere. Um, and when... Cordell sort of came into the picture and presented you with an opportunity to actually experiment with the technology yourself. And I love the idea that you, you focus on that, like that female forward element of your work and then brought that out because 
I think you're right. There are ama- there are plenty of amazing women who are creating work on Tezos. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's amazing about all the female creators is there's so much diversity of style. But what I like about the pinup packs is that it's that it's this combination of your offline work and then like in and then kind of combining it with this new medium, which is like the digital trading card, and that you drew inspiration from baseball cards and top shot, which I think is a very unique angle. So tell us more about, you know, the, the 15 characters of your pinup packs, like what inspired each of them? It obviously sounds like you were inspired by a particular decade. What, like what conceptualized, what do these look like? You know, how did you choose the models? Cause I know you said you worked with them before, but why were they unique for this collection? How did you build this out? Yeah, great. Well, thank you also for summarizing my blabber because <laughs> you just explained it in like three sentences. So thank you. Um, yeah. So with the characters, I looked into a lot of different pinup style artwork and I realized that a lot of them were kind of almost like uniforms that were typically male um, professions, especially for that time, 40s and 50s. And I thought that was really interesting. So I was like, okay, you know, from a firefighter to um, a soldier and um, have a bunch. (laughs) And then I also wanted to do some more girly ones, like a bunny. (laughs) And then I have like a, like a, like a kind of... (laughs) There's so many, like a cabaret dancer. And basically it started with the professions. And then I was like, okay, I want to like throw in some girly ones. And then basically in my head, I was like, okay, I want to create this as a base, these base 15 characters to show the project. And then maybe I'll get to do a second collection where, you know, I expand on certain ones. Like I would love to do an entire cabaret collection. I'm really drawn to feathers and glitter (laughs) which is such a silly thing to say. <laughs> Never mind, scratch that. <laughs> but um, yeah. so I was like, just, I wanted to create a range of different type of characters because I wanted to appeal to a bunch of different type of collectors, right? So one person might love the firefighter, another person might love the sailor, another person might love the the diner girl. And within that too, with the models, I also thought of the same kind of concept as appealing to many different types of people. So these were all girls that I knew were incredible models from the way that they pose and the confidence in their expressions. Like I had full trust in them as they they had trust in me. And so um, I wanted, like I said, to appeal to many and have like different kinds of looks. So I chose Sula Rouge, who has this beautiful, has these beautiful, like, red curly hair and green eyes. And then um, Sydney Graham, who has, like, beautiful caramel skin and, like, curly hair, just gorgeous t- uh, curl texture. And then Christiane Rodriguez, who I actually met on America's Next Top Model, who has been one of my best friends for years, from roommates to traveling, like, one of my best friends. And she's a Latina and, like, has these gorgeous big eyes and is just, like, absolute um, vixen, like, in the all the different you know, mediums of that. And then um, Sophie Saint, who's like blonde, like cutesy, like blue eyes. And then Emma Jade, who is Indonesian, actually, Indonesian Dutch and has tattoos everywhere. And she's got like these sharp features. And like I said, I've worked with all of them and they're incredible women, incredible models. And they were just so fun to play with, like on set. Like they were just just wanted to make the characters come to life, which makes 
working so fun. And yeah, I had a, a costume designer, but I, um, I kind of just showed her like step-by-step step from accessory to prop, like exactly what I wanted. Um, so I, I really designed them, which I just, I think I'm a little bit of a control freak is <laughs> the bottom line. <laughs> um, yeah. And had an incredible hair and makeup team. And so, yeah, it just, everyone made it all come to life. So it sounds like diversity was also quite an important element of your work in terms of selecting models that were coming from so many different parts of the world and had very, very different looks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think on top of that is this is this sense that, you know, I think oftentimes when people think of pinup girls and they think of those traditional pinup posters, you know, post-war, it was always this, you know, this sense that these are photographs for men or artwork for men without realizing that it's also for women. And whether, you know, you are the subject of the photographed or whether you are a woman who feels empowered by seeing women in pinup pieces. And so how did you sort of, I guess, portray who this artwork was for and like to make sure that it was for a diversity of audiences rather than just, I guess, catering to like the male gaze. Cause you mentioned earlier, you know, you wanted to make sure that there were some like quite feminine pieces throughout the work. So it wasn't all just, you know, women in sailor, sailor outfits and so on. How did you make sure to kind of retain the feminine energy within these pieces? Yeah, I think, First and foremost, it was making sure we had an incredible time on set and they were very happy and comfortable with the the set, but then also the finished products and their costumes that they felt sexy. Every time I put someone in an outfit, they were like, they were just like, yes, I love my hair, I love my makeup. I'm like, okay, we're on. Like, that's like first step. Anything that makes you uncomfortable or isn't making you feel 100% beautiful, then okay, we're changing. So that was really important. That was the set environment. And, you know, a lot of a lot of the women I work with, these ones in particular as well, like they make a lot of their money in the kind of boudoir space, whether it is OnlyFans or music videos or just lingerie and bikini brands. And like that's the way that they make their money. That is their kind of control. And that's why I work with a lot of sex workers in general or on OnlyFans is because I love the way that it gives women the control of like, what they want to show, who they want to work with, when they want to go go to work. Like the days of like women having to show up on set with like a, a random like guy with a video camera, like not knowing their call time, not knowing their rate, like it's over. And like that, that we, we've given women a lot of control back in that space. And like, for example, Instagram is like, it's like, it's, it's amazing platform um, and tool for marketing. But a lot of people are kind of showing like, what my cards show or what they're showing on Instagram, but they're not getting paid for it. And so I like platforms like um, OnlyFans and things because it just monetizes the audience that you've been building, you know? Um, And so with this project too, I wanted to make sure the models got paid, that they had fun, that they were proud of their images. I can't wait for them to properly have the, because they've all seen the images, but they haven't seen like the full collection of the actual 3d renderings because like right we have the model in the front and then the cards rotate we have all their stats and then we have it in audio form so as the as you play the piece you you hear their their personal stats like with their voice which was also really exciting because i didn't see any other projects do that 
So yeah, I guess to answer your question, just making sure that the women were proud of what they did with me and were excited to share with the world as I am. And yeah, that's kind of... I mean, I like that, you know, female empowerment is like underpins all of your work. And, you know, there is this emphasis on the safety, the comfort and the confidence of the women coupled with this idea of their digital emancipation, because, you know, blockchain and Web3 was always seen as this technological emancipator of sorts. Like you could be your own creator, you could finance yourself, you could earn yourself without getting, you know, a cut taken away from you every single time you make a sale, you have full ownership over what you put out. And I think, you know, when it came to what you were saying about why you're a fan of OnlyFans in terms of restoring power to the creators on that platform, because I guess in many, you know, throughout history, plenty of women have unfortunately been exploited by systems like this. So to create a work that's, I guess, antithetical to that is, is very, very significant because I think in, I think in Web3, there's always been this diversity conversation or, you know, how do we attract more women to the space? Because it is very male dominated still. And so to see female creators supporting other female creators is still a fairly recent phenomenon, I would say, only in like the last few years. Um, And so with that and, you know, putting out your first collection, you mentioned you're hoping that this is going to spur on a second do you think that you would stay within the Web3 space? Is this like the first of many NFT projects that you hope to pursue? Or is this like a first experimentation and you'll see how it goes before you venture into the next? Yeah, so it's 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 interesting because I really love the technical aspect of the NFTs, like even the minting and the and the way the platforms are set up. I also love the transparency with the wallets and how you're allocating money. Like for example, I am, and I will announce this as well on X and things when we're promoting the project, but I have, I'm going to have a special wallet that is like allocated for, for charity. I would, I've been trying to connect with a women's abuse shelter for like over a month now. I've sent so many emails back, sent so many emails out, but I keep getting the automated service. So I'm just going to make the wallet And so everyone can see that proceeds are going into that charity wallet. And then once we hit a certain cap, I'll do the first withdrawal and send it to an organization. I'm thinking Rain because they have a crypto donation um, feature where you can donate in crypto. So I could send it straight from the wallet because I, I want people to know that I'm supporting the safety of women, like not just on set, but in general. And I, that's why I really wanted to partner with an organization and have that be a part of the launch of the campaign. I just don't know why it hasn't worked out so far. So I can just do it as a, a donation and that that's, you know, good enough for me and hopefully good enough for uh, my supporters and the collectors. But yeah, sorry, I just wanted to mention that. But to answer your question, I'm really drawn to the technical sides of NFTs and Web3 but I don't know that I'm very good at the the social media part, <laughs> like like the the constant engagement and discording. And I don't it's not my world and it's very time consuming. And because, you know, NFTs and crypto are not my full time job, I mm-hmm. have a hard time <laughs> doing everything. Uh, so I would love to make more NFT projects. I just um yeah, I think maybe if I was able to take 
more of just the the creative producer role and things like that. Um, that would be amazing. Um, and Tezos has been so helpful and guided me with so many things, like led me in all the right directions and things like that. So they've been incredible because I love to learn, but I'm also new, you know, so it's everything is a learning process. They've like protected me a lot. I mean, I guess in the same way you had a mentor when it came to your photography, that's sort of what you need for the Web3 space as well. Someone or a group of people who are willing to sit down, take the time and walk you through how this world works, because it is it is quite confusing. It is quite complex. And like the barrier to entry is still quite high. So I think it's a matter of how everyone sort of finds their journey into this space, but it is doable. And I think, you know, I think the space would be more than happy to have you there and continue to put out your work. Um, I saw on your ex profile that I think you have started gently like, or gently started collecting other pieces on Tezos and like building out your own collection of NFTs. What's that experience been like for you? I don't know why I feel so seen. Um, (laughs) It's so fun. I'm collecting my own stickers. I just love the platform object. I love the interface of it. I love the way they display things. Um, I love the artist profiles. And then I love that you can find the artists on on X like through there. And so, yeah, I just... I just go on there and I just explore and then I buy artwork that I like. And then I, I, you know, take a little gif or screenshot of it on X and I, I like giving people their praise. I just think it's incredible. Like for me creating these photo shoots and then turning into turning them into these digital trading card collection. Like I know the effort that went, went into it, like the step by step, like when you guys see the collection and you see, from the logo to the font, to the pose selection, to the color combo, to the background image, to the the image the image on the stats, like every little detail was something I had to figure out and think about for all 45 cards. Um, so I know the work and the, the time that goes into that, the thought process, the, the puzzle. And so I love and I appreciate other NFT artists so much. And I love, you know, mine is a very unique project, but all the other NFT projects are so unique too and different than what I've done. And I like stare at them and I just, it's like a peek into their mind. And I wonder like the steps and I, I just, I'm fascinated and I really just appreciate artists. And so with your journey so far, you know, coming up to this very point today, what, what have you got next? Like what's, What's next on the journey in terms of whether it's Tezos related or whether it's just out in the big wide world? Like, what are you working on? Thank you for asking. I became the creative director and head of talent for Speed Suspects recently. And we're currently working on our magazine and we're very like car focused, um, but we do all kinds of things. It's like a creative ecosystem, if you will. And today... I actually became head of talent for another company that is like brand focused. And I'm so excited because I'm also head of talent and creating all the photo shoots. And like, I just feel like people are understanding my strengths and seeing me for them and wanting me for them. And it's just so fun for me. Like it's literally what fuels me. And so I never feel like I'm working for the record. I work very, very hard, but it's just fun. I even like sitting I can edit for 19 hours and enjoy every second of it. 
the fact that people pay me to just do these things, it's like, oh, it's such a joy. Um, so those two companies. And then I also dabble in acting and I have a really fun movie called Model House coming out in the spring and hopefully another cool project. But um, I just I just am an artist at heart. I love to do anything art related. I love to create. So I guess people will continue to hear your name both behind the camera, in front of the camera as well, in terms of the film that you're currently going to be in. And yeah, it sounds like, you know, throughout the course of your life, you've picked up various skills along the way and they've sort of culminated into everything that you're working on today, which is wonderful. And so if people want to learn more about you, where should they look? What what sites should they look for? What's your ex account? Like, how can people access you? Thank you. Yeah, I if you like hearing me speak, you don't think I'm a rambler. Or even if you do think I'm a rambler, I actually have a podcast of my own called What's There At? And you can find that on YouTube. Uh, my Instagram is Corey Loves You, C-O-R-Y. And my ex is Corey Hen Roberts. And my other Instagram where you can scroll down thousands of photos and see where I first started, all film. And that's called Corey Caught You. It's just like an archive gallery of me and all the people I love, our youth. And I do it with so much love. And people will find the account and be like, whoa, you have over 3,000 photos on here. I'm like, yeah, that's love. <laughs> that's fashion. Um, so, yeah. So, um, Corey Caught You, Corey Loves You, Corey Ann Roberts. And what's their at on YouTube? Amazing. Well, Corey, thank you so much for sharing your journey with us today. And we will share all of the information when it comes to the launch of your pinup packs. Um, and, you know, we wish you every success. So until we speak again, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun. Great. Have a good night.